0: Welcome to the 4Teachers Podcast, I'm your host James Meston. Today on the podcast we're going to be featuring an episode which is part of a fantastic series, all of which will be available on this channel, all to do with STEM, which Catholic Education SA and EduChange produced last year. Uh, First, just quickly, if you do enjoy these episodes and want to hear more stories about what's happening across Catholic Education in SA, I think you'll really enjoy the School Life Podcast, all about what's happening in our schools from the student's perspective. I'll put a link to that channel in our show notes. Okay, ad over. Here's the episode. We need the disciplinary knowledge, but I think in STEM, the key bit of it is the ability to pivot between I'm thinking like a scientist now to I'm thinking like a technologist or I'm thinking like an engineer or I'm thinking like a mathematician. And I also need to be able to pivot towards someone who has, who might have knowledge that I, that I need. It's, partly about this that coming back to that first-class human around the interactions between people that's the glue between the science the technology and engineering and maths and that's for me that's way more sophisticated than just mushing them all together and saying we're doing this thing called STEM.
1: STEM education is undoubtedly a hot topic in education systems worldwide In this Catholic Education South Australia STEM podcast, we talk to leaders in science, technology, engineering, and maths about the value of STEM learning and the future of STEM careers. These are the stories of STEM in South Australia.
2: Professor Martin Westwell is the Chief Executive of the SACE Board, South Australia's Curriculum and Assessment Authority. And today we are thrilled to welcome him to this Catholic Education South Australia STEM podcast because Martin is a guru in science education and the science of learning. Prior to leading the SACE board, Martin had an illustrious career in the biotechnology industry, in science innovation, and in science education. His research has included the development of electronic assessment and the use of computers to interrogate large education data sets, along with the use of mobile eye-tracking technology to better understand how students allocate their attention. From 2007 to 2017, Martin was the inaugural director of the Flinders Centre for Science Education in the 21st Century that supports quality teaching and innovation in science and mathematics education. He has a PhD from Cambridge University in biological chemistry and was a research fellow and later deputy director of the Institute for the Future of the Mind at Oxford University. I'm Maddie Scott-Jones, Chief Operating Officer at Education Changemakers, and we are thrilled to have partnered with Catholic Education South Australia to produce this podcast. Today I'm excited to be speaking with Martin about the value of STEM education and how we can support young people through learning as they engage in a constantly changing world. Welcome to this Catholic Education South Australia podcast, Martin.
0: Oh, thanks very much.
2: First things first, um, there's a fair bit of rivalry between Cambridge and Oxford. I'm really interested in which experience you enjoyed more, because I I know that you've um, you spent time at both universities.
0: <laughs> yes, that's a great question. Uh, look, so uh, they've both got things to recommend them. I think I was a I was a student when I was at Cambridge, so that had uh, that was very special. So you know, you only get to do that once really and um and I was a fellow at Oxford so that was a real challenge and um, I learned a lot there so uh, uh, no they're both very special places mm-hmm.
2: um could you tell us a little bit about your work in the biotechnology industry and in science innovation
0: yeah so um when I was uh, working in uh, Oxford in particular I was we were interested in New science, finding new things and uh, and applying those new things. And in uh, we were working on drug discovery for therapies for uh, neurodegenerative diseases, so things like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's and motor neuron disease. Um, and that's that's came, spun out of the university as a as a biotechnology company. Um, and that those were really exciting times. And the team was absolutely fantastic because um, uh, the team was. Uh, all kinds of different scientists. So we had some chemists and we had some uh, electrophysiologists, people who would look at the electrical signals being sent through brain cells and uh, cellular people and kind of all kinds of different scientists all altogether. And so there were kind of no two people who had exactly the same background or exactly the same kind of experience. Um, so that was a really exciting time. And so we were really kind of pushing hard on the edge of New Knowledge and having all those people around and working on such an important uh, project um, was incredibly satisfying. Stressful at times, but incredibly satisfying. Mm.
2: I had the pleasure of speaking with some South Australian students recently, and uh, it seems that this sort of cutting edge science is, is what most excites them about um, entering sort of STEM professions these days.
1: Yeah, so after school, I've got my heart pretty much set on doing, hopefully, getting into the advanced computer science course. Um, The reason for that is because I want to major in AI, artificial intelligence, and that's sort of my dream, especially with all all these new things being developed. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Neuralink, uh, Elon Musk's latest project sort of thing that he unveiled. It's basically reducing the output bottleneck of the human, so basically connecting your brain directly to a computer. I think all that sort of thing is really, really fascinating, and I think that... Artificial intelligence is the way of our future. And a lot of people don't realise the true effect that it will have on us and that it already does have on us.
2: So these young people are are passionate and they're learning more and they're reading about science. Um, I'm wondering what's exciting you most at the moment in terms of emerging trends in science?
0: Yeah, so that um, brain-computer interface work, I think that is fascinating. And, of course, what's interesting about it is the, the technological issues are really fascinating uh but of course then we start to get into some of the ethical issues so we're starting to think about well you know we can but should we um and really i think one of the things that we're seeing is that scientists have to be more and more um engaged with that kind of interaction with the community so i think that shift in science is actually something that i'm really interested in i think if we were to look at other aspects of uh science um you know we can't go. We still can't move away from the, the steps that we're making in gene technology, and so in gene editing and technologies like CRISPR, uh, where we can really, um, with some precision, uh, change the genetics of a particular organism and change those the gene makeup of a particular organism in a way that will then be um, in, that will then be inherited from one generation to another. So incredibly powerful. Technology and again comes with a whole host of uh, ethical issues and kind of downstream issues that we've really got to be able to think through.
2: Mm. And many of these, so so if we think about ethical issues when it comes to genetics, at least there's a board of, of people. You know, there there are sort of committees set up that monitor that. One of the things that emerged time and time again when I was having conversations with young people was that they they're. they're there's some concern about the lack of that when it comes to newer technologies like artificial intelligence, for example.
0: Yeah, look, I I think um, uh, as we go down the road of artificial intelligence, you know, what we find is often that the science leads and the ethics um, lag a little bit sometimes. Um, And I'm sure that as we get down the road of artificial intelligence, we will have uh, more regulation in place and more structures to to think about this. I mean, I think we were already thinking about it from a philosophy point of view and from a policy point of view, um, but that'll get sharper and sharper as the technology develops.
2: Um, but if, we, if we've got these things that are sort of emerging in science, what about in science education and perhaps in education more broadly? Uh, there, are, there are things constantly changing and, and new um, pedagogies and frameworks for teaching science emerging constantly. What is it that, sort of, that you're keen to see happening in schools?
0: Yeah, so um, Andreas Schleicher, who's the head of education at the OECD, so they do those uh, lots of work around education, policy and practice, and also looking at, uh, they do PISA, which is that that assessment of 15-year-olds all around the world, which is really instructive. Uh, He talked in Adelaide recently, and he talked about how artificial intelligence, in fact, was having such a big impact upon education. And as robots get better and better at doing the kind of knowledge and know-how and some of those kind of skills, um, the danger is that if we carry on educating students in the way that we are, we'll end up educating second-class robots because the the artificial intelligence will be the first-class robots and people will just be lagging behind being the second-class robots. And so what we really need to do is to shift and think about how we're developing first-class humans um, and so that idea of what it is to be a first class human doesn't mean you need to say that you're going to strip away uh, the knowledge and know how, the expertise of the science or the technology or the humanities or whatever it is that's got to be in there as, as well. But clearly that's no, no longer sufficient and we're going to have to shift. And even what the discipline means needs to shift. You know, even in schools now when we're talking about mathematics, there's a real challenge around how much calculation should we actually be teaching students? Because what we really need is the reasoning, the formulation of the problem, the reasoning um, and the interpretation and the interpretation of results and really because the calculation is isn't so much there anymore because the calculation can be done uh by artificial intelligence can be done by computers and so i think when we're thinking about education and science education we're really starting to think about now well what's the heartbeat what's the human heartbeat of this discipline and how do we make sure that we build out from there and so even if you take just science as an example as an example in the Australian curriculum, we started out with the sciences having three what were called equally weighted strands. We had the, the science understandings, which was the content, the content, essentially the uh, science inquiry skills, which, again, does what it says on the tin. Um, that Some of those skills that are really important in science. And then there's the sciences uh, human endeavour strand. We said those those were three equally weighted strands but actually as a curriculum unfolded and it got taught people started to really look at the, perhaps the achievement standards in there we really we came back to the content uh, maybe the inquiry skills as well and then science is human endeavor got added on to the end but really when you think about it those skills that are there in the science as human endeavor understanding the nature of science how ideas grow and progress and develop how um um science is used so back to some of those ethical um issues that are there that science is a human uh, science is a human endeavor understanding where science is useful and where the boundaries of science are and science do- isn't useful anymore actually i think what we're seeing is that the science a human endeavor strand the almost the philosophy of science the way about going with science coupled with that knowledge and know-how that comes from the other strands that's becoming more and more important so I don't think it's a it's a major shift. I don't think we're reinventing science, but I think what we are saying is, again, that the knowledge and know-how of science is no longer sufficient. You've really got to have this science as human endeavour component to your um, uh, to your science education, or, or else will be developing those second-class robots. And and even in, within that, we can think about some of the things about, you know, what does critical thinking mean? And scientists have thought for a long time about critical thinking being about how they think about the problem and approach the problem. And that's entirely uh, appropriate. But of course, very little science gets done as an, as an individual pursuit these days. And so now we've really got to help our students to think about um, my critical thinking about being what goes on between me and my colleagues my peers my collaborators and the, and the scientific problem that we're trying to address that creates a new space for thinking between the three of us me my peer and the and the problem at hand uh but it's also he's asking students to turn that critical thinking upon themselves and their own thinking about thinking about how am i going about this how am i planning this what might the outcome of that so we're asking students to be a bit kind of metacognitive thinking about their own thinking and so it's just really expanding what we thought of in the industrial world as being science which was all the technical stuff to really be now about thinking and creativity and critical thinking alongside that that knowledge and know-how
2: Mm. I think a lot of those skills are also used in when we think about STEM education and science education is, is distinct from STEM education, but, but naturally there are some overlaps. I'm interested in, in hearing your definition of STEM education. What, what does STEM mean for you?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question because, you know, you could, there's so many definitions of STEM um, that are out there. The thing for me that concerns me the most is that uh, if we think about STEM literally has been science, te- technology, engineering, and maths, uh, that we're in danger in STEM education of mushing all those things together. And what we'll get if we're building, you know, the stereotype is building bridges or designing these things. And But we don't get disciplinary knowledge out of that. What we get is we kind of get a bit of a mush of everything. And so what we get are generalists rather than experts who can apply that knowledge. So, uh, there's so many benefits of uh, thinking about science, technology, engineering, and maths as STEM, but there's also this this downside um, as well. Um, and so, if we think about if we have STEM classrooms or STEM teachers, uh, I worry about that a little bit, um, because I, you know when we were talking about working in biotechnology, we had all these people who had different Uh, different disciplinary knowledge coming from some some of them coming from quite different backgrounds Um, and that was really important to us the diversity in that group was really important to us uh, that they had really specific expertise um, and and it was different across those people so so I worry about that a little bit the when we also think about uh, uh, stem and we're putting stem together as as one thing We start to lose some of the ways of thinking in the different disciplines. Let me give you an example. In science, often when we're doing an experiment in science, we know that, you know, an experiment may go one way or another. So we like, especially in the physical sciences, particularly like to repeat that experiment. We might do it two or three times. And if the results that we're getting out are uh, within the tolerance that we set so essentially we get two or three times and we've repeated the thing we'll have some confidence in that result and we'll say okay well that's enough that's that gives us confidence but if you if you really are building a bridge if you are a civil engineer and your job is to build this bridge um, your confidence means a completely different thing because this (laughs) because this bridge can't work two out of three times you know it's it's got it's got we've got to have much more confidence than that um, in the bridge and that's important, right? So the the nature of uncertainty in these different disciplines really matters, mm-hmm. um, and we're thinking about different things. And we all um, we almost, if we're talking about STEM, we almost need a for so many of these concepts like uncertainty or confidence, we almost need a poster on the wall uh, with all the different definitions from across science technology engineering and maths, and then point to it and say okay so when i'm talking about uh, confidence i'm talking about this definition here so we can point to the thing on the wall and we all know that we're talking about that confidence because mm-hmm. if we're in the same discipline we all know what we mean by that but if we're coming from different disciplines we don't and we have to make sure that we're on the same page mm-hmm. I, I, i've been a chief investigator in the National Science of Learning Research Centre, and there were 30 professors involved in that um, and there were people who dealt with uh, cellular systems, there were people who dealt with imaging of brains when, when learners were doing particular tasks, all the way through psychologists, all the way through to people who were working in model classrooms, then people who were working in real classrooms. And we really, we really struggled for a while because we had all these 30 different professors and these 30 different research groups, and we had 30 different definitions of what learning was. And we would get, you know, we get on the on the wrong uh, on the wrong foot sometimes because we, we thought we were talking the same language and we really weren't. Mm-hmm. So the important thing, I think, uh, from all that all those stories is that we need the disciplinary knowledge. But I think in STEM, the key bit of it is the ability to pivot between disciplinary knowledge to be able to pivot between. I'm thinking like a scientist. Science is human endeavor i'm thinking like a scientist now i'm thinking like a technologist or i'm thinking like an engineer or i'm thinking like a mathematician i need to be able to pivot between those things with the knowledge that i've got and i also need to be able to pivot towards someone who has uh who might have knowledge that i that i need if we're doing electrophysiology those nerves send it that send it signals down nerves i need to understand i need someone who understands cells nerve cells and I need someone who understands electricity and electrical impulse impulses and how to interpret that data that comes out of that um, that comes out of that experiment so I'm asking the physicist and the biologist to pivot together uh, to make to make the most of each other's um, uh, disciplinary knowledge um, and to be able to you know to work together effectively to communicate effectively to collaborate to know when to shut up and just <laughs> listen <laughs> and know when to step in and say, no, I got a second. There's a really important point here that I, I really have to make because uh, I think we're going down the wrong road. You know, so again, uh, it's partly about this, that coming back to that first class human um, around the interactions between people. That's the glue between the science, the technology and engineering and maths. And that's, for me, that's way more sophisticated than just mush them all together mm. and saying we're doing this thing called stem
2: mm. so there's still a place there is a, there's a place for um stem learning but it, it perhaps looks a little bit different um to what might be happening in, in some classrooms at the moment
0: is yeah i think part? that's right i think mm. i think all the good stuff and all the stuff that you're that the, the young people that you were quoting before we're talking about was all the good stuff's at the edges it's mm. it's between this it's at the edges, it's at the forefront. That's where all the interesting stuff is. And we have to be able to operate at those edges, at those boundaries between um, disciplines. Um, so there's not only is there a role for it, there's a really strong need for it.
2: What could good STEM learning look like in South Australian classrooms? Or what does it look like? Have you got any great examples to share?
0: Yeah, look, I think we've seen this in lots of examples. And I think it's often about... Um, students and teachers, and maybe industry and other experts. It's not about just going through processes that you know um, investigations where we already know the outcome. Well, I think one of the one of the key characteristics of successful learning is when you know when nobody knows the outcome. Um, th- there's an educator, uh, a primary educator in South Australia, Nathan Starling, and Nathan did this great activity with, with his kids, Year Six kids, I think they were, and he had a, a tin of mint and there were just a couple of mints in the tin and he shook it and held it up to his ears and and he said to the class okay now you can um, what I want you to do is you can shake the tin you can do whatever you want with it but you can't destroy it and you can't open it I want you to decide how many mints you think there are in the tin Mm -hmm. so it goes around the class and every kid has a shake and weighing it in their hands and doing whatever they can and it comes back around Nathan flips off the top of the tin looks in it doesn't show the kids and then tips the mints into his mouth and crunches them and eats them <laughs> and the kids are horrified because like, what's the answer we'll never know and, and of course his point was you'll never know mm-hmm. you will never know you would ch- just have to make a judgment. Um, And I think that's one of the things that we see in really good STEM classrooms where, you know, the the students know that the teacher doesn't know the answer, Mm -hmm. where they're working towards something new, they're working towards solving a problem or finding new knowledge, but it's something that we're going to have to interpret ourselves. Mm -hmm. What's important about that is that we see that um, any sort of um, approach in a class classroom that's um tell and practice that's kind of okay if it's just a bit about knowledge you know i'm going to tell you something here's a worked example um i'll show you how to do it now now you do it and you practice doing it that's a kind of pretty typical kind of old school way of doing uh, of of perhaps teaching um and it's got its place um but it's not the but it doesn't transfer very well it's it's knowledge and you can take that knowledge with you but you can pretty much apply that knowledge in the way that you learned it if you want students to be able to apply knowledge in those complex unfamiliar and non-routine situations those situations that are likely to find themselves in the future those situations at the edge at the boundaries between disciplines or at the forefront the sort of pedagogy that's required is much more of a, a struggle struggle and resolve pedagogy you know, actually, what's going on here? Not, I'm not quite sure. What, what should we do? Actually, formulating the problem now, um, and then developing new knowledge. And we're going to put some some direct instruction in there. We're going to put some teaching in there, but not necessarily at the at the beginning. You know, the the struggle and then the resolving of that struggle through the teaching, uh, that seems to really fo- really support this idea of transfer so that once you've struggled with it, students can take that knowledge and apply it in those different ways. Because they have actually got a pretty in-depth understanding of what this idea is um, and how that idea might be used.
2: Mm. One of the topics that kept emerging with students is around the future of work. So let's hear from Fernando at Thomas More, who's in year 12
1: for me what excites me the most is how far we're going to be able to use technology so what breakthroughs are we going to be able to make will we be able to cure cancer will robots be able to perform surgeries all that kind of stuff it'll make things a lot more efficient a lot more um less costly but the downsides are obviously the jobs the job market will will be uh, plummeting really badly which is pretty bad but that i think that's why stem and those kind of subjects are much more vital in this like age because we're getting more involved with technology and we need more people to kind of develop that technology to make our lives easier.
2: So many of them take comfort in their passion for STEM and they're not worried about their future employment opportunities because of this passion. Do you see STEM as a pathway to future careers?
0: Yeah, look, I think there's uh, there's no doubt about it. We're seeing that in Almost all the kind of economic models and the models of economic development around the around the world that STEM plays a, a big role. I think here in South Australia, one of the things that we've seen is that, as we as we're thinking more and developing uh, that entrepreneurial culture and that um, ability for our students to to have a go and to develop companies or products or you know, so to to really use the uh, creativity, a lot of that creativity and a lot of those products are based on deep knowledge of stem concepts um, and so uh, even the even the the generation of the new of the of the new product the new service um, that people will find valuable a lot of that will be based in stem so
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it's it it perhaps won't be um, so focused on big kind of stem employers that we might have seen in the past it might be a bit more focused on the individual, but there's clearly a need for STEM um, in all kinds of aspects of the economy. And of course, as we've seen technology has been um, a real driver for change, a real tri- driver for uh, uh, economic development, then, then of course that's room for jobs so that people can work in that technology, but of course the new technology will create new opportunities, and being able to get hold of those, those new opportunities will require STEM knowledge.
2: Mm-hmm. If you had uh, a piece of advice for a student of STEM learning, or of science, technology, um, engineering, or maths learning uh, in secondary schools today, what would that piece of advice be?
0: I think that I think the piece of advice I'd offer would be around making sure that you're developing your um, your creative skills, your critical thinking skills, your communication skills. the the res- If we're talking about jobs, the research that we see from around the world is that. Um, Jobs that don't require things like maths are uh, decreasing, Um, and jobs that do require skills like science and maths are also decreasing, unless you've got uh, the social skills as well. Mm -hmm. The jobs that require maths and social skills are going through the roof. That combination is where all the value is. So um, there will be roles for people who are just really deeply interested in that one aspect of science or mathematics or some other aspect of STEM, there will still be roles for those. But where we're seeing more and more the opportunities are is when students have got, when young people have got this combination of STEM skills and those personal skills. So I would say don't, um, don't build your STEM m skills at the cost of those other human skills
2: Mm. martin i know you're a very busy person so i really appreciate the time that you took out today to record this podcast with me thank you so much
0: maddie it's been an absolute pleasure
2: thanks for listening to another podcast from catholic education south australia for more information about our organization check out our website at cesa.catholic.edu.au